What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped inside my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming related decree. This week, it's all about the exciting announcement, finally, of Mortal Kombat 1? So let's talk about it and dive right into the episode with my news catch of the week. Gamers, since before I even ever owned a home console, I was a fan of Mortal Kombat. Way back in the early 90s, mid-90s, man, every time I went to a Pizza Hut or an arcade, the first thing I looked for was whatever Mortal Kombat cabinet they had on display at the time. And I was very good at the game, to be honest with you, uh, on those arcade sticks and cabinets, and yeah, that transitioned onto the home versions of the games once I started being able to bring those experiences to my house via the PC with the first two entries in the series. And then eventually with the Super Nintendo, I had Mortal Kombat 3 Ultimate, and then PlayStation, it was Mortal Kombat 4, and Mythology Sub-Zero, and Special Forces, and you go on so on and so forth through the eras, and Man, there's just so many different amazing evolutions of this franchise, and I, for the most part, have enjoyed every transition. I just absolutely love the series. It's one of my favorite all-time gaming series. If you have to know, I know if we're talking Mortal Kombat, I'm a big, hey, who's your favorite character kind of guy. So I got to tell you, just to put it out there, my guy is Scorpion. Since day one, he's been hands down my favorite character. And don't get me wrong, I do thoroughly enjoy a few other characters, some more than others, obviously, but man, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, Reptile, I guess the ninjas. <laughs> you know, I might as well just say the guys dressed up as ninja suits. That is, for whatever reason, always what resonated with me the most is those characters. I mean, Reptile is a freaking reptile shooting acid and just... His move sets were always cool, and obviously he's transitioned and evolved, speaking of evolution, over the years into what his character type looks like and whatnot. But the bottom line in saying all of this is I'm a massive fan of Mortal Kombat, and I even just did an episode of Captain's Quarters a few months ago. You can check it out if you'd like, saying, hey, what do you guys want? What do I want next, a Mortal Kombat 12 or an Injustice 3? Because NetherRealm Studios also does the Injustice series of fighting games where the DC characters just kind of go ham on each other. And I thoroughly love those games as well, the two that came out. But, you know, ultimately for me, it was always about Mortal Kombat. I mean, I would love to see Injustice 3, but Mortal Kombat, there's something about that world, that lore, those characters. I just can't get enough of it. Well, I did not expect to see Mortal Kombat 1 be the next announced entry in the series. Obviously, Mortal Kombat 12 being the next number after 11, which was the last game released, I'm sitting here thinking we got Mortal Kombat 12 coming, as I'm sure most gamers who are fans of the series also were expecting. Now, don't get me wrong, the Aftermath DLC for Mortal Kombat 11 that was kind of post-base game, that kind of sets up what Mortal Kombat 1 is supposed to be, from what I understand. Unfortunately, I never got a chance to play the Aftermath DLC as much as I would have liked to. I did complete the story in Mortal Kombat 11, and the way that the Aftermath DLC, if you're not familiar with it, just to kind of give perspective on Mortal Kombat 1, maybe a little bit better understanding, as it helped me to understand a little bit, like, oh, okay, I see, this is already kind of in the works. So it shouldn't be too crazy of a, 
of a reaction when you're like, wait a minute, we're going back to one? Because in Aftermath, at the end of it, Liu Kang kind of resets the timeline. So there's a brand new new era timeline that is formed throughout the course of the storyline of Aftermath. So that is how we kind of get to where we are with Mortal Kombat 1. And I got to tell you, I just cannot wait until its release, which believe it or not, is only four months away, less than four months away at this point now, because with this initial announcement trailer, we got the release date as well, September 19th, 2023. So less than four months away, hopefully we will be performing many fatalities on each other online or just going through the ladder matches and taking out the story modes, all the different favorite characters that we have. But the game is coming out September 19th of this year on the PS5, the Xbox series of consoles, X and S, the Switch, and PC. Now, it's very interesting here, and it makes sense, but the PS5 and Xbox versions, they're going to be developed by NetherRealm Studios, and the Epic and Steam versions are actually headed up by QLOC, and Shiver Entertainment and Saber Interactive are handling the Switch version. So I'm very interested to see if they announce the Switch version as a streaming-only title. That was not something that I saw announced with the fact that it was coming to Switch, so I'm not 100% sure if that is going to be the case or not, but I feel like if it's a next-gen, just about next-gen-only title, because I don't really consider a Switch next-gen system at this point. I mean, it came out in 2017, so I don't really lump that in there. I'm thinking PS5, Xbox, and PC. Those are those kind of upgraded current-gen, next-gen versions. To see something like that, what I'm assuming it's going to look like, because we got a cinematic trailer, unfortunately, no gameplay, but or in-engine, I should say. But regardless, I don't know that something that is going to look maybe potentially what I hope is on the same level of visual insanity of Tekken 8. I'm hoping that's what we get with Mortal Kombat 1 as far as the visuals are concerned, and I just don't see that running on a Switch. Now, Obviously, the streaming option is an option, so we'll pay close attention to that and see if that is announced further on down the line. But if you were looking to pre-order this game, there's actually a, a decent amount of incentives for you to do so. Not only do you get Shang Tsung as a playable character, but you will also gain access, early access, that is, to the game on September 14th, so you get five days early access to play this game before anybody else who hasn't pre-ordered the premium or collector's editions of the game, which we'll get to the details of those here in a sec. But in addition to all that, you also will have access to the beta, which is only on the PS5 and Xbox series of consoles. And that will happen sometime in August later this year. We didn't get a specific date on that in the month of August. But again, just a couple months away. I mean, two and a half, just over two months away now at this point, and we'll be hopefully able to try this game out in the beta. Now, again, as I stated, there are three different versions of the game. And the first one, obviously, is just your basic standard version. Retails for 70 bucks. No surprises here. Well, if you want to pay an extra $40, 110 bucks total there, with, minus the tax, obviously, you can get the premium edition of the game. And again, as I stated, that'll get you early access on September 14th. It'll also get you early access to DLC characters in the future, a combat pack of six new characters, five cameo with a K <laughs> characters, and Jean-Claude Van Damme's skin for Johnny Cage, as he was the inspiration for that character all those years ago. 
And then finally, 1,250 Dragon Crystals, which Dragon Crystals are what the endgame's currency is going to be. So if you're willing to drop the extra 40 bucks, that is actually what I would consider, in my personal opinion, a pretty decent amount of stuff for the extra 40 bucks. Uh, the early access is a, a deal breaker for me. Like I'm like, oh man, you know, five days early access, let's go. Uh, but early access to DLC characters is also something what I would consider and think is, is something new. I've never heard of early access for DLC in the future as well. So that's actually really cool. Now, if you are a true, just absolute obsessed combat fanatic and you want that collector's edition, <laughs> you're going to have to drop 250 US dollars and it's only available in physical copies. So if you're like me and you've kind of transitioned to a digital library for your gaming in the last few years, if you want that collector's edition, it's not going to happen. And that honestly is not too much of a bad of a trade-off in my opinion. But what you're going to get for that $250, you're going to get all the premium content that I listed, plus a really cool looking Liu Kang sculpture statue, a steel book case for the game, limited edition course art prints, a Liu Kang in-game color variant for the character, and 2,700 dragon crystals instead of the 1,250 that you get with the premium edition. So, base game 70 bucks, you want to fork out an extra 180. Really, you're paying for that statue is really what it boils down to, in my opinion. You're paying for that statue and the prints, the, the physical swag is really what you're paying for there. Now, if you feel like that's worth your extra 180 bucks, power to you, no, no judgment here. I know I, as much as I love Mortal Kombat, I just do not, I can't justify the 250 bucks. I can't do it. So I will probably settle for the premium edition. I can get behind the 40 bucks, like I said, for early access and whatnot. But man, I mean, as nice as that statue is, maybe if it was a scorpion statue, or even then, I honestly don't know if I would have gone that route. But Getting to the actual trailer itself and what my thoughts were on the trailer, this little trailer breakdown here real quick. So it was a cinematic trailer to kind of reiterate that point. And, you know, obviously we as gamers, I've talked about it all the time on the show in the past. I mean, we obviously prefer an engine at least trailers. So that way we know exactly what we're, we're looking at. And this is what the game is going to look like when we're playing it. But we didn't get that. We got a cinematic trailer, which, okay, fine. Announcement trailers, nine times out of ten, they do end up being cinematic trailers and not an engine or gameplay. I get it. But it was still a really cool trailer. I'm not going to take anything away from it. You got Liu Kang kind of monologuing the whole thing. And honestly, based on what he's saying in this trailer, it leads me to believe, because there haven't been a lot of details so far released about what the gameplay specifics we can expect or story specifics. So... A lot of what he was referring to in the trailer seemed to revolve around choice, like Scorpion and Sub-Zero, for instance. Are they sworn enemies or are they brothers, essentially? Like, are they going to team up together? I don't know if that's a choice that you can make in-game somehow and in a the story mode or how that's set up or I don't know how it's going to work, if it's even going to be anything at all. Maybe it's just the monologue, but I feel like they wouldn't have put it in there and... There was a few times throughout the trailer where choice was brought up, and I just feel like they wouldn't have kind of repeated that theme if it wasn't going to mean something when the game actually releases. So I'll be very interested to see if that is the case, and if it is, what exactly that choice and that theme of choice 
is going to be when the game releases. Now, all we really got, we you got the very basic new fighting system, new game modes, and more. Now, very vague. Obviously, you kind of expect that when you have a sequel or a reboot, etc., etc. The only detailed description of any kind of newness uh, as far as gameplay that we got was the addition of those cameo with a K fighters. Now, cameo fighters in this game are going to be fighters that are essentially partners to your main character fighter that you choose, and you're going to choose these cameo fighters separately from the main roster. So what exactly that means, I don't know. Is it going to be like a WWE tag team match that you're having ongoing throughout the course of the game? Is it, if they're separate from the main roster of characters, is there like a create a character and you can have them partner with you as a cameo character throughout the entirety of, say, a ladder match or ladder table? I don't know how that is going to work out, but it's very interesting to me to see what exactly this is going to entail so I can't wait to see exactly what that is going to be in the game as far as it is concerned. Now, I will say as far as the fatalities that were shown in the trailer, I just got to tell you, I thought they were pretty awesome. Uh, we Again, we didn't get an engine or gameplay, but man, you can't almost tease Mortal Kombat without showing at least a few fatalities. And they did not disappoint with this cinematic trailer, some really cool stuff. And Liu Kang just looks, oh man, I mean, he is a literal god at this point in the Mortal Kombat mythology. And he definitely showed off his power uh, there at the end of the trailer. So definitely really cool. I mean, again, lifelong Mortal Kombat fan. I'm very excited for the fact that it's a reboot and just kind of reimagining everything. And the characters, I'm very curious to see how their storylines are reimagined. Obviously, I don't think that NetherRealm would make the mistake of straying too far from what made these characters so popular and likable in the first place, i.e. Scorpion and Sub-Zero's constant, you know, battle with each other and just the different tribes that they came from. And I don't know, there's just a whole storyline there between those two and a reason why they hate each other. But uh, hopefully we, you know, don't get too far from that. But I, I just I love the character designs. They they definitely updated and redesigned all the characters. Obviously, there's still some you know those basics that you have to have, like the the goldish yellow for Scorpion and his outfit, and the same similar design. It's similar, but it's different. Same with obviously Sub Zero and his blue outfit, in contrast to the yellow gold of Scorpion. So a lot to look forward to, a lot to get excited about. I can't wait to see more characters announced and more details around what we can expect from gameplay and game modes and just how it's all going to work out. I mean, I'm sure they're going to probably come pretty hot and heavy with that information considering the game is, again, just a few months away. Probably more than likely I could see them either at the PlayStation Showcase event next month or the Xbox Showcase event next month really highlighting some more stuff. Maybe we get a gameplay reveal at one of or both of those showcase events, different gameplay or game modes for each event. Who knows? Tons of speculation can be had, but all I know is the specifics that I've covered today. I cannot wait until September 19th, or for me, or if you like me and getting the premium edition, September 14th. And if you want that collector's edition, you'll be right there with me too, with a really sexy Liu King statue. So definitely cannot wait. And that was this week's catch of the week. Now let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, this past week, I was on vacation. And with vacation, typically comes a lot of free time. 
Well, because me and my wife decided to split our vacation with travel and then just relaxation on the back half of it, that back half allowed me a lot of time for some gaming. And the first game I want to talk to you about is NBA 2K22. So gamers, you may be thinking, did he just say 2K22? He had to have meant 2K23. Unfortunately, well, no, I won't say unfortunately. I did not mean 2K23 because I am still playing 2K22. I purchased the game when it went on sale over a year ago at this point, and I have very much just really kind of dabbled in the game. I put a decent amount into the career mode, but the story didn't really draw me in like years past, and I just wasn't feeling it as much as I had previous NBA 2K entries. But the NBA playoffs are going on right now, and you know there's just a lot of basketball on my mind, and I just felt the need to get into some digital basketball, but not the my career piece because I wanted to get back to a franchise mode series that I had started with the Philadelphia 76ers, my favorite team. And unfortunately, I know they just got their butts kicked by the Celtics last weekend. And, uh, you know, we won't go into those details. That's for a different kind of podcast. But the bottom line is I still wanted to play some digital basketball. So I loaded up NBA 2K22, booted up my save file for my Sixers franchise, and I'm very early in the season. But what I love so much about the 2K basketball games is the presentation that they give for each game. It truly is just like watching a live basketball game on TV. If you do watch live basketball, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, they have during the game interviews, they have halftime reports, post-game reports, even with the crew from inside the NBA like Shaq and Kenny and Ernie. I mean, it's just, it's so immersive and just so realistic and the graphics are just insane. So I just, I absolutely love the 2K series as far as the basketball games are concerned. And 2K22 is no different. I played three different games in my franchise in the current season that I'm in right now. And as I've said, I, I played a couple games previously in this season, but for whatever reason, as much as I may have enjoyed them, man, these three games just recently massively resonated with me. I played all three back to back to back, and I play full quarter length. So it's about an hour for a full one game of basketball. That's the way I like it, though, on the same way in baseball games when I play MLB The Show. I don't like to skip the time. Same thing with Mad when I'm playing football. I like that realistic, as real as I can get as far as my digital sports are concerned. So it took me about an hour each game. So I just sat there for three plus hours straight playing NBA 2K22 and absolutely loved it. So I played three different teams over the course of that time. And the last team I played, it was the Detroit Pistons. And if you know basketball, I mean, the, the, the Detroit Pistons have not been good in a very long time. So I was actually having kind of fun with the game because I destroyed them by just over 30 points. I got a lot of trophies unlocked, and it was just honestly a game for me to kind of try to still fine-tune the skill of the point of release on a shot. I prefer to use the analog stick for the shot control as opposed to the button, a face button on the controller. And I've been kind of that way, honestly, ever since they introduced the stick control way back in the day, many console generations ago. So the Pistons destroyed them. And the first game that I played out of those three was against the New York Knicks. Now, I'll give myself a little bit of credit. It had been a while since I had played this game, so the muscle memory wasn't 100% there yet. And just in general, 
the acclimation to that kind of a game going from playing Star Wars and other things and honestly not even having gamed in quite a few days since my vacation had started. It was an adjustment game is what I'm going to chalk it up to. But I will say I did not go down without a fight. Ultimately, I did lose that game if you couldn't pick up what I was putting down there. And it wasn't a terrible loss. I mean, I did lose by double digits, but it was only 12 points. And, uh, man, they just would not go away. Every time I would feel like I'm getting on a run and get within, you know, oh, I'm like four points away from tying the game, they would go on a run and it would just be insane. I would start missing everything. They'd make everything. It was just one of those kind of back-and-forth games, but more back to them and them scoring just about every possession. So, regardless, I did lose the game against the Knicks. I, I destroyed the Pistons in that third game. But that second game out of those three was a really, really fun game for me because I did win the game, but it was not a blowout win. And for me, honestly, sometimes those kinds of wins are more exciting and do more for me than a blowout win. Because it's just something about the tension. And I mean, specifically with basketball too, just the, the clock and the clock management and using timeouts. And the way you can manage your substitutions in 2K22 is just, I mean, it's awesome. I love it. There's an option where it comes up to a timeout and you can press square on PlayStation and it says, be the coach. And at that point, basically what you do is you can select the players that you want to substitute if that's what you want to do. And you can set up the plays that you're going to call at the uh, coming out of the timeout. It's just really involved. And if you're a basketball head such as myself, then it's just, it's pure bliss. I mean, it's just awesome. So I thoroughly enjoyed the game. It was one of those where it started out, I was leading by a pretty decent amount. They went on a run, OKC, and they just... They ended up coming back and forth and talking about me not going away in the first game against the Knicks and the Knicks not going away themselves. OKC definitely did not just roll over either, which I appreciated because it just made for a very intense final few minutes of the fourth quarter and therefore the game. And it was just an awesome time. So overall, the three games that I played this past week and NBA 2K22 were just awesome, awesome experiences, even though one of them was a loss. And I can't wait to play some more of my franchise with the Sixers. Now, let's talk about the next game that I spent a ton of time in, and that is Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Gamers, when last I left you in my amazing time spent so far with Star Wars Jedi Survivor, since then, I have played a whopping 23 hours of progress. So... If you remember from the last, or if you don't remember from the last episode, I have now reached 54 hours total in Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Now, just kind of for perspective, the game does have an in-game ability to where it shows you your progress in the game. 78% complete, and the overall experience is where it says that I'm at. So, 54 hours, 78% complete. Don't really think that's too shabby in my opinion, especially considering the amount of content that is on hand to experience in this game. Now, specifically what I was doing this past week, last episode I left you where I was with Cal and Marin, and they were in the planet of Jeddah, exploring and doing some different things. So, obviously, I did continue to do a ton of exploring. You got the exterior deserts and the cliffs and canyon areas of Jeddah, and some interior temples there as well. Now, I will say that going through, obviously, I did some collectible hunting. I just did basic exploration and platforming. Combat, obviously. But through the process of all this, 
I did do some story progression on Jetta, and I got to tell you, it was absolutely phenomenal. Obviously, no spoilers. I'm not going to go into any spoilers at all whatsoever here, but I can just say that, man, I have loved this game's story. I love the antagonist. I love the High Republic aspects of the story and the integration of it into this, honestly, this canon of Star Wars lore. And man, it's just made the experience so much more enjoyable that I just, I can't get enough of it. And there was just a, 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 oh man, one of the most epic scenes ever of just a combination of teleporting and wall running and double jumping and grapple hooking and air dashing. I mean, it was just absolutely epic at the end of the story sequence that I experienced in Jetta. And I, oh man, I just the whole time, it's one of those things where it's almost an out of body moment periodically throughout this sequence and I'm just sitting there like, man, this is just amazing. This feels awesome. So after I completed the story sequence that was the, the last main story quest, if you will, for Jetta at that moment in time, I obviously, I had the option to go back to Kobo and continue the story, or I could keep exploring Jetta. And that's what I did at first, is I continued to explore Jetta because there was now some newly unlocked areas uh, that I could access that I previously couldn't access. There were some force tears that I did. And I got to tell you, these force tears, man, there were three of them that I did over the course of my playtime that I'm discussing with you right now. And the, the first two, they were combat related. They weren't too bad. I don't really have a whole lot of issues with the combat-related force tears because typically it's just about staying alive, keeping distance, you know, same basic stuff. A few waves of enemies, good to go. Yeah, I've died once or twice here or there, but the force tears that really, really grind my nerves, oh man, they are the platforming ones. And I'll get to the one that I did that was a platforming force tear here in a minute. But after I did the exploration, got some more collectibles, accessed some new areas, did some force tears, all that good stuff, I was feeling pretty content with where I was at with Jetta. And when I left the planet, the overall progress percentage that the game shows me that I have for Jetta was at about 84%. So I don't have a whole lot left in Jetta. There were still some inaccessible areas based on an ability that I did not yet have at that point in time in the game. So I felt pretty content to be able to go ahead and leave and like, look, I got to come back here anyways with that final ability. So I'm good to go. I've spent the last few hours exploring. Let's go back to Kobo. So at this point, I go back to Coruscant because as I got onto the Mantis and I had every intention of going to Kobo, Grease, who is the pilot, is in the first game. If you don't know who Grease is, he's the four-armed captain of the Mantis. And basically he says, oh, well, hey, we can go back to Coruscant now that Marin is with us and part of the group because Marin decides to go with you at this point and travel with you. Okay, cool. Well, I haven't been to Coruscant since the opening moments of the game. So at this point, I decide, all right, I'm going to go back to Coruscant before I go back to Kobo, and hopefully I can knock out whatever was left to explore. Honestly, unfortunately, I was disappointed when I got back there because there really wasn't a whole lot left to do, except I could access past some of the green force field barriers that were there that I previously could not because now I had this new ability that I gained at the end of Jetta that allows you to teleport through these green force fields, which is really cool. But I did those. I still have 94% uh, is where I'm at with Coruscant. So I have about 6% left and that's really just the areas that are blocked off or were blocked off to me at the time. So I did the few things that I could do in Coruscant and then finally actually did make my way back to Kobo. And I was really excited when I got back to the planet because up to this point, every time you go to Kobo and the whole duration of time you're there, 
it's daytime. So it's daylight out. There's no day night cycle or anything like that. You're just pure daylight, which is fine. But when I came back this time to Kobo, it was nighttime. And I mean, just there's something about nighttime, the ambiance, just the different, it felt like a whole brand new planet almost in certain sections because you have the ambiance of not just the darkness and the way the lighting plays off of different things, but just the crickets and the different wildlife that you kind of hear in the background. It was like coming to a brand new version of Kobo and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, I checked in at the saloon because the first thing you got to do, in my opinion, when you come back to Kobo after being away is stop at the Plantoon Saloon, Grease's saloon that he runs. And this is kind of like the hub of Kobo and new characters that you meet. They'll come back there. There's certain shops and characters that you can pick up quests or trade items for. It's all kinds of really cool stuff. Scuba Steve that I've talked about before, the tank where you bring back all the fish that you find when you meet up with him throughout the course of the game worlds. All that stuff is here, and it's just awesome to meet up and follow up with everyone. The Hollow Tactics table where I love what this game does. And every collectible, every everything, honestly, in the game has a purpose. So even just like in the first game, you defeat a new enemy the first time, BD1 can scan that enemy and it gives you a description of the enemy type and just different tips for them in combat when facing them. Well, in addition to all that, in Jedi Survivor, Respawn, the developer, has upped it a step even further. And those scans, any enemy that you scan is automatically entered into your arsenal for the Hollow Tactics table. So you can choose them as pawn pieces, essentially, to use in a game of Hollow Tactics. So I, I just think it's awesome. It gives a purpose, literally, to everything. So I checked out the Hollow Tactics table took out the next couple of opponents and that because I for me my thing is is every time I go back to Kobo and every time I go back into the cantina so it doesn't stack up on me and it's not like this massive amount of people that I gotta face off against in hollow tactics at the end of the game so that I'm not doing that I try to take out at least one or two of my opponents every time I visit the saloon so I did that and then after I checked in with everybody, sold off some of the collectibles that I had and traded them in for different pieces of either clothing or hairstyles or different gun pieces for my blaster, lightsaber pieces, BD1 paint uh, varieties. I mean, all kinds of different stuff you can trade these items for. After I did all that and I felt pretty content, at this point, I wanted to go to the next main story objective, which took me to a brand new area of Kobo that I had yet to explore. And it was the swamps, the foggy bog. And I was actually really excited just based on that description to getting to this area. And gamers, I wasn't disappointed. It was a really cool area, and it genuinely was a bog. It's kind of like a quicksand. If you stay in it too long, you'll get sucked under. Luckily, you can use your grappling hook on certain grapple points to pull yourself out. Or if you happen to be close enough to a climbable ledge or island, you can get up onto them that way and get out of the muck in that way. But when you get to there, to the bog, there is a main story quest that takes you to a crashed Lucre Hulk ship. Now, obviously, if you're not full on with Star Wars, you don't know, like, what is a Lucre Hulk? So it's this massive round ship that during the Clone Wars housed a massive amount of the droid army, the Separatist army. So they would send these Lucre Hulks to planets and essentially be able to control a planet based on the amount of battle droids and ships and all kinds of stuff that were housed on it. So it's just this massive, massive ship that years ago crashed into the swamp and the bog. And so now you are tasked with going and exploring the Lucre Hulk because there's a certain quest objective. I'm not going to say what it was, but you have to go to this Lucre Hulk in order to do something. 
And I absolutely had a great time exploring the Lucre Hulk. There was a lot of fun platforming and combat encounters inside. And ultimately, of course, it culminates in a boss fight. And I got to tell you, the boss fights that are in this game, so far, all the ones that I've had, they have not been like the main story boss fights. Let me clarify that. None of them, I felt, have been overly complicated or overly difficult. They've all been just kind of a nice balance of, of fun and challenge. And they've had great story moments in, or in and around them before and after. So I've just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the boss fights in this game. So after that boss fight, I was able to pick up two new abilities throughout the course of this progression. That was the Force Lift and Force Slam abilities. So at this point, Cal could actually lift whether it's enemies or objects or previously inaccessible areas that had these massive metal doors blocking the way. You can actually, on the PlayStation, hold R1 and press Triangle for Force Lift. Or if you need to sling something in a downward direction, or if you lifted up enemies and then you want to slam them down on the ground, you can hold R1 and press X to slam them with the Force Slam. So these are really valuable force abilities that are a lot of fun that I was very excited to get to. So after I finished the Lucre Hulk, I came back out into the bog and the swamp. And with these new abilities of Force Slam and Force Lift, I was able to further explore the swamp because before going into the Lucre Hulk and getting those abilities, you couldn't go any further. You pretty much had to make a beeline for the Lucre Hulk because you didn't have force lift essentially so that gives you access to a whole different side of the swamp and there was just a lot of really cool stuff that you could actually do and once i got to the end of that newer area of exploration there's actually an elevator that takes you up like this massive side of the mountain and when you come out on the other side it brings you to the very beginning of the kobo map like i mean when you first land on kobo at the beginning of the game so at this point i decided that i would just progress through Kobo from that point all the way back to the cantina in my ship. And in that progress, I would just, any new area that was accessible to me now with these abilities, I would just knock them out and I would take care of them. Because in the process, I also acquired another ability for BD-1, which is the electric dart ability. So there are these different electrical boxes that you can see up in the air on uh, different spots in the game world. And you can go into BD's vision and you can shoot a little electrical dart to short circuit these things and either give you access to open up chests or doors or things like that. So as I was going through anything with force lift or force slam, anything with the electric dart, all that stuff I was doing as I progressed further, found new seeds to bring back to Pila, a new character that I found at the end of the Jetta experience. She came back to the garden on the rooftop of the cantina I told you about last week, and she actually helps give explanation and kind of monitors the garden for you. And so I had different new seeds I could bring back to her, and oh man, it was just a massive amount of stuff to do because... I mean, there was new rumors that I picked up, which are side quests in the game. There is, uh, I mean, just so much to do in this game. I can't even express it enough. But I did make it back to the cantina, talked to everyone again, picked up a new bounty, actually, from Cage, which is a bounty hunter who uh, recruits you, basically, to help her find and track down these different bounties and take out these bounties uh, and bring them back to her that you can trade these different bounty pucks is what they're called. And you can trade them as currency for different items. Like again, the same kind of stuff, BD paint jobs or different upgrades for your blaster. So really cool stuff. And I just got to tell you, it's just been an extremely amazing time that I've spent in this game. Uh, by the time I was done with Kobo again, at that point it was time to progress the story even further. 
And I did at this point go back to the destroyed or shattered moon. And there was a whole massive base that was the other half of the shattered moon that was just an awesome experience that I got through. And, you know, once you get back to the shattered moon and you make your way to this base, it's got this massive relay gun that goes off every few seconds that you have to dodge periodically. That's interspersed with combat scenarios with enemies. It also gets interspersed later at the end of it with just some amazing platforming sequences that I thoroughly, thoroughly loved. And by the time it's all said and done with, by the end of it, you have this research lab that you get into. You get a new ability that allows you to use your grappling hook in a new way that I thought was awesome and exciting. And I, I was very excited to finally get it because there were so many different what I would call air balloons hanging around throughout the game worlds that I would go to and I couldn't do anything or go anywhere with them so finally I got the ability to be able to use them and then there was just another awesome boss fight at the end of it a great story sequence and now I'm back on Kobo after 100% completely exploring and having that 100% designation of complete in, completion in the destroyed moon I'm now done with that, so I made my way back to Kobo to further progress the story again. And I've just loved the amount of content that the game provides. And even though there are less planets in this game than what were in Jedi Fallen Order, I actually like the quality over quantity as far as... Well, I won't say quality. I'll say quantity of, of content over quantity of planets. Because this game has less planets, but there's so much more to do in each planet. And they're kind of open world. Whereas in Fallen Order, it was very much a linear feeling style. This is more of like, hey, you have this massive planet, it's open world, have fun for 20 hours. You know, it's, it's just this one planet. So I've absolutely loved it. And I can't believe I didn't do this before, but I got to do it now. And I have to make a claim, stake my claim, as it were, by saying that I will, guess what, gamers, be going for a Platinum Pursuit in Jedi Survivor. <laughs> If you're new to the show and you haven't heard me do a Platinum Pursuit before, this is basically where I commit to you, the listener, that I am absolutely committing to go after the Platinum Trophy in a specific game. In this case, obviously, it is Star Wars Jedi Survivor. For me, not every game that I touch is automatically a Platinum Pursuit or a Quest for a 1000G, if it's an Xbox game is what I usually call it, that segment. But in this case, Star Wars is just an amazing experience, and it is one that what I consider, when I think of a platinum in a game, it's one of those games that I feel that deserves me putting in the extra effort, so to speak, going after a platinum trophy. Not every game necessarily, I think, deserves the time or is one that I end up enjoying so much so that I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to go after that platinum. This is one of my favorite games. I'm loving this. I, I want the Platinum in my trophy collection. So Star Wars Jedi Survivor is absolutely going to be my next Platinum trophy. Keep track with me as I continue to progress through the game. And check back hopefully here sooner than later to see if I did in fact own up to my Platinum Pursuit claim. Now, after all that I've played this past week, let's go check out and see what my highlight of this past week was. Gamers, out of all of the 23 hours that I put into Star Wars Jedi Survivor, the three hours that I played of NBA 2K22, man, there was a lot to choose from when selecting my specific highlights of the week. But ultimately, 
I got to look back and think about the time during the play session that I was just an absolute bliss and Jedi survivor exploring new locations in Kobo. And I feel like recently I had a highlight of the week just kind of exploring Kobo in the past. I can't not repeat it again this week. It was just an absolutely blissful feeling for me. And it's been persistent throughout the entirety of the game, but it was just something about being back on Kobo at nighttime, as I discussed earlier in the captain's log, and the different locations that I stumbled across, not just that were on track for main story quest or even rumors, the side quest in the game. These are areas that were just kind of random areas that have a lot of context and depth to them. Places like the Drowned Bunker. Because I now had the Force Lift ability, I could flip up the massive sewer tunnel lid, if you will, and be able to drop down into what used to be a functioning bunker, but was now a drowned bunker because it's flooded out. And there was a lot of underwater exploration and swimming around. And if you know me, I love underwater exploration in games. So this whole location, in addition to not just the collectibles and the different lore and different scans that you get with BD1, there's also a pretty cool boss fight. It just, it was a really cool environment to go through and kind of unique to a lot of what you've experienced at that point, or at least for me and in that point in the game. In addition to the Drowned Bunker, there was also the Fonky Caverns. And I don't know if that's the exact pronunciation of it, but it's P-H-O-N apostrophe Q-I. So I'll just say Fonky Caverns. And these caverns were awesome. They were labyrinthine. And it was just, an, again, an extremely unique location to explore. Had nothing to do with the main story, side quests, rumors, anything. I just ended up having to find my way in there with newer abilities that I could now use to gain access to it. And of course it's underground, but there is just so much going on down there. There's all these different lightsaber wielding, uh, they're not necessarily Sith or Jedi or Inquisitors, but they are kind of like bounty hunters and they're coming after you to kind of take you out. And as you go through these different tunnels, you see them on electrified, on the other side of like an electrified fence, if you will. And they all kind of talk trash to you as you come across them. And eventually you do meet up with them and have to have this really epic fight against all of them at the same time, which I didn't expect. But man, that was epic. And then on top of that, heads up, there's another ranker down here. And man, I sent a screenshot on Instagram and check out my Instagram channel if you want to check out that post and see what I'm talking about. But it was creepy because I'm walking and at the very last second, I see the silhouette and the, the face of the rancor and, and the blackness of the, the corner of the tunnel that it was sitting in and hiding in. And then next thing you know, there's the fight. I'm fighting the rancor. So between those two, plus some really cool puzzle-solving sequences that required you to use these exploding bulbs that are kind of like a fauna, a flora, excuse me, a flora, well, a flora slash fauna in these caverns. You could use your force grip and throw them and use force throw to those electrified fences I talked about earlier, separating you from the other bounty hunters. Those are the only way you could get past those electrified fences is by using the, those exploding bulbs. So that was amazing. And then on top of that, there is the Jawas. And if you know Star Wars, you know the little guys, ooh, teeny. Those guys played a big role in a rumor quest that was basically helping them out. And I won't go into details, but it was helping them out in their little city that's set deep into the canyon. 
And I just thought it was awesome. I mean, there was just one thing after another in my time with this game. But re-exploring Kobo at night, as I said, almost for the first time, with these new powers and abilities, going to these new areas, it was just absolutely blissful for me and my highlights of the week. Now, let's open up a chest of buried treasure gaming tips that I have for you and Jedi Survivor. Gamers, as you're exploring Kobo at night and you get to the swamp bog area, after you finish exploring the Lucre Hulk and you're able to explore some of the more accessible areas now that you have the Force Lift ability, there is a legendary enemy that you're going to come across. And after you make some platforming moves over to a certain area, you can kind of overlook down into this, I won't say, like, like a little island, if you will, set right there in the swamp. Pretty decent size. But you can see right there in the immediate distance that there are two of these Mogu which are enemy types that are the kin of the Wampa, if you will. So the Wampa is the massive, kind of abominable snowman uh, creature that attacks Luke and Empire Strikes Back and ha has him hanging from his ice cavern. Well, the Mogu are basically a, a descendant or a kindred uh, being to the Wampa, and they are resident to Kobo. So these guys are no joke in general, but... There is the Mire Terror, which is the legendary enemy, who is this like kind of just jacked, frenzied, nutso version of a Mogu. But it's not just the Mire Terror that you're going to have to take out on this island. There's also a second Mogu, just a regular Mogu, but a threat enough walking around on that same island with the Mire Terror. So you have to take out both of them, ultimately, obviously. Well, I'm here to help you alleviate any kind of extra stress or time or frustration that you may have by just jumping straight down there and trying to go all in with lightsaber combat, dodging, parrying, all that good stuff. What I found immediately <laughs> that was the best solution for me, the Confuse Force ability. Now, if I haven't mentioned this before, if you didn't know what that was, you can basically target an enemy, and if they are susceptible to the weak-minded mind control, if you will, the Confuse ability, as it's called in the game, then they will actually attack other enemies around you for you. So they'll fight with you, essentially. So in this case, I was like, you know what? I'm going to see. Now, first off, you have to be able to upgrade the Force ability and purchase that with skill points, the ability that will allow you to confuse larger enemies. So first, make sure that you do that before you go fight the Mire Terror. And once you have that ability gained, then you can use Confuse on the regular Mogu. And I chose to use it on the regular Mogu because I was like, you know what, he's the weaker of the two, and I would rather have him at least knock off as much health of the Mire Terror as possible, and then in the process, hopefully the Mire Terror can kill and take out the Mogu for me. So gamers, that is exactly what happened. I just sat there on the cliffside and continued to use Confuse, because it only lasts for a certain amount of time, depending on how you've upgraded it. Uh, it dictates how long the duration of it is, or how long it will last. So I just sat there, and just as soon as it would drain down and he would no longer be under my control or under Confuse, I would do it right again, and just keep doing it over and over and over, and they would just keep fighting each other, until eventually the Mire Terror did kill the Mogu. Well, at this point, I hop down, and it's a little bit more frantic than a regular Mogu fight because, again, this guy is kind of frenzied, the Mire Terror. So, it, it, but it's still your basic, hey, get your timing right with your parries, your dodges, and also use the slow down time ability. I think that came in real handy for me as well. But when I jump down from using Confuse on the Mogu, 
the Mogula was able to take the Meyer Terra down half his health bar. So I only had to take half the, the back half of the health bar before taking out the Meyer Terra, therefore making it actually a pretty easy fight for me. So hopefully that saves you some time and frustration. Now let's go check out this week's Captain's Decree. Gamers, sticking with this week's theme of Mortal Kombat 1, my Captain's Decree this episode is going to be what are the three most anticipated characters that I am waiting with bated breath to be announced for Mortal Kombat 1? Well, first and foremost, if you didn't pick up what I was putting down earlier in the catch of the week, my number one most requested, most anticipated character is going to be Reptile. Ever since Mortal Kombat 2, when he was a secret character, I've absolutely loved this character. He's arguably been my second favorite above Sub-Zero, next to only Scorpion. And I just love his character. I love the character model. Green's my favorite color, so obviously that, that plays into it. But like I said earlier, the fact that it's actually a reptile and his different fatalities, you know, the tongue flicking out and ripping the person's head off, the acid spit move, and just in general... I have loved seeing the differentiation of the character design over the course of the series. And with this being a massive reboot in Mortal Kombat 1 and all the characters being reimagined in new ways, I can't wait to see what NetherRealm Studios does as far as the reimagining of Reptile. So I can't wait to see Reptile. My second most anticipated character is a classic favorite of mine going back to Mortal Kombat 3, and that would have to be Cyrax. For whatever reason, the cyborg characters of Cyrax and Sektor, they stood out to me a lot in those games of 3 and 3 Ultimate and so on and 4 since then. But Cyrax, the gold-colored cyborg, if you were not aware of which one is which, he was always the one that kind of stood out to me more. I always liked... Cyrax as far as a name and just I don't know maybe it was the gold color but Cyrax I would love to see what they do with him I've always loved his green net that he shoots out and drags people into him and just the smoke bombs or different grenades and just he's always had a really cool character story and uh, I've liked his fatalities over time so I would again I'd like to see how they reimagine these cyborg characters and third and definitely not least is Noob Cybot I really like Noob Saibot, and if you didn't know, Noob Saibot is basically the last names of the co-creators of Mortal Kombat, Ed Boon and Tobias. I forget the guy's first name, but Ed Boon and, it might have been John Tobias, but Boon and Tobias backwards is Noob Saibot. And that's an actually ongoing character that has appeared since, I want to say it was probably the second or third game. So he's been around for a while, and he's always had a really cool moveset. And I thoroughly enjoyed him in the last few iterations that he was in. So I would love to see what his interpretation is in this next upcoming game. Either way, there I could go on and on with so many other characters as well. I love, love, love Mortal Kombat. And just it's, it's one of the reasons why I've always loved it is the unique characters and different fighting styles and how different they are from each other. So regardless of... Who comes out in the DLC, I'm sure I will be a massive fan of whatever it is that NetherRealm Studios decides to reimagine next. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com 
as well as search for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at Lost at Sea Gaming and on Twitter at Lost at Sea, G-A-M-I-N, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.